All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 42 of the DFO Rundown, available at dailyfaceoff.com or anywhere where you want to get your podcasts. Jason Greger, alongside Frank Saravalli, come to you once again from the woodjerseys.com studio. You'll see the Boston Bruins jersey here. Frank can get you a little bit up close and personal. You see all the intricate work that goes into it. It's awesome when you see it. All different teams. You can check it out. It's an NHL licensed product. Go to woodjerseys.com right now. Look at Frank. Woof, sporting that. I like Banner it. White over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what we'll call you now. The Vanna White of the rundown. I like it. I like it. Uh, Frank, uh, how are you doing? Is it, uh, it was, of course, uh, Canada Day yesterday. So uh, happy post-Canada to all our uh, Canadian listeners and, of course, all our Indigenous friends as we uh, learn more about our, our past. And, and, you know, I'm not a big believer in erasing the past. I think you got to learn from it and uh, talk about it. And I think there's been some um, some really good conversations and dialogue that will go on. Um, I think there's That's the only way to move forward, right, is to have the discussion. You, you, can't, uh, you can't hide behind it. You got to address it. And um, understand and have empathy for those survivors of it. I couldn't imagine being a young child put in that situation. It's horrific and it's not something you just erase. So, and also of course, we have uh, the 4th of July coming up a huge weekend for all of our uh, American listeners. Frank, what do you got planned for uh, July 4th? Uh, some golf. Uh, you know what? I was actually, I was a little sour um, not being able to be in Montreal for the Stanley cup final. I of course went to Tampa for games one and two and, 
be so amazing to be in the building. Uh, Habs make it back for the first time in 28 years. And you're like, wow, like, can you imagine a better barn to see a game in? That's in the regular season when it's full. But if you could get any sort of capacity in there for game three, like be unreal. And so I can't cross the border. The exemption, uh, even for double vaxxed people like myself, I've been fully vaccinated since April you can't cross unless you're a Canadian national. So I don't know that I guess double vaxxed Canadian nationals are more healthy than double vaxxed Americans. And that's fine. That's the rule that the federal government set in place. And so I can't cross. I'm home. I might as well play a little golf, hang out with the kids, go to the pool. Uh, that's about it. You are, are the, have you, have you at melted pool. at all there or what? Dude, I, well, obviously it's never been this hot in my lifetime, it's like Vegas hot right now. But uh, whatever 37 and 38 is, I think that's like 108 or 110 or something. So yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, we have a we have a membership at the the Glendale Golf Course, and uh, there's an outdoor pool. And I've uh, pretty much been uh, spending lots of time at the outdoor pool. You know, you get a nice little uh, shaded area if you're lucky sometimes. And you know, my son is uh, he's a little fish, so he's in there playing. So nice. it's the, the hours can pass a little bit easier when you have an outdoor pool, man. Uh, we'll get producer Ty on the show. Uh, early. he doesn't have AC in his house. So it uh, cannot imagine. I, I mean, like a, I'm fat a fun week. So I sweat getting out of bed in the morning in the summer and I have AC. I can't imagine what it would be like. Um, oh. you know, we took the kids to an amusement park last week before my son's birthday and the hotel was having a problem with their AC and you couldn't open the window. So it was like a sauna all night. It wasn't even that hot out. It wasn't, you know, that's the key. You know, we were talking offline is the low temperature of the night needs to get down so that you stop baking. And instead yeah. when it remains in, you know, above 24, 25, you know, 78, 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you're cooking all night long. It's like, it's like a hot box. Yeah. I, uh, it reminds me, I've never had AC. This is the first house I've ever owned uh, where we had air conditioning in it and blows my mind. Now that I've had it, I could never go back. Right. But I grew up like when I lived in the basement as a kid, basically since grade three, my broom was always in the basement. So, uh, when you're at the farm in the basement, uh, even when it was hot out, the basement was, was actually quite cool. So, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up all with that. And then obviously when you, you know, when you're in your early twenties, um, on the days that it got really hot, usually be half buckled. So then you just pass out anyway. So, yeah, I remember those days, but it's really funny though. Like you think about the situation and, you know, not to stray too far off topic, but the further North you are, you have heat, but no AC kind of where I am in the continent. You, you wouldn't build a house without either. And then you get down to Florida and, and Georgia and, and Texas, and you get a ton of houses that have AC, but no heat. And so like these rare times of the year where like people in Florida would need some heat in the winter when it drops into the fifties, you guys need some AC. And it's just like, I don't know. I couldn't imagine I've never lived in a house or been close to a house that doesn't have either one. Yeah. Well, I I've seen the stories the odd time of people without house, without heat in their house. And I'm just like, what? So it's, it's it, like anything. That's, that's what it's, live. The my that's how my mind is functioning. Like hearing that you don't like there are houses like where and you grew up in houses without AC up there. Like it's like I'm like how how? Oh, I, I would bet fifty percent of houses in Alberta don't have AC, if not more than that. And uh, so that's just it's kind of how it is. It normally doesn't get that. Usually it, the joke is you need AC for like two weeks of the summer because 
you know, when it's 20, it goes down to 12 overnight. It's not terrible, but for the people who live in the apartment buildings and stuff who don't have them, my goodness, that, uh, I don't know what they were doing this week, but probably sleeping, uh, you know, buck naked with maybe a sheet on and just trying to survive. So it, uh, it was not great. Um, Thanks for uh, that speak- vision. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of trying to survive the uh, Montreal Canadians, uh, you know what? They played a great game and great in game mm-hmm. two. I don't know how many great chances they had, but they, they had a lot of shots. According to Sport Logic, it, it was one. Yeah, now, one yeah, and I, I had counted myself. Like I watched. I think I was like four. Like yeah, three I thought four. three. You know, so either way, lots of shots, but quality shots is what matters. And uh, Tampa Bay uh, definitely capitalized on the few good chances that they had. And to me, this is a prime. Ex- I don't care what happens in Game Two. If you don't win, it doesn't mean you get to carry over that good effort, and it automatically is going to be the same because Tampa dominated Game One. Like Montreal, like let's call a spade a spade here. Series is over. It's just a matter of when it's going to be over. And now that sucks for Hab fans, and they still got to believe. But uh, history, t- this is the Tampa Bay Lightning who have won seven straight series because a lot of people said, well, they came back from Toronto. You know how many years you have to combine for Toronto to win seven series? Okay, we're talking 30 years. So I'm sorry, but this is not the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is defending Stanley Cup champs who can smell blood as they're two wins away from their, their second consecutive final. And this one, Frank, to me, I think there's huge motivation for Tampa Bay because when they won last year, they won in a bubble with no fans and barely any family members around, right? So there's, there's huge motivation for the team that's basically the same. There is. Uh, did you put your hot take mitt on before you said all that? No. Like the no. series is over? Like, huh? I mean, I, I, not to play devil's advocate here, but the 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 key for me, and, and you don't, you're right, you don't get to roll it over to game three, but the key for me is that the Habs woke up. Game one, you know, they played so much better in game two that I think what it did was send a message just that they're not going to go quietly. And, and now when you get to game three, you know, see if you can get some of those bounces now that they didn't get in game two, like, I don't know that we're going to get a first two periods or certainly a second period from game two. We're going to see the lightning play that bad again, but that also had something to do with the way Montreal played. Right. And so I think if, you know, if they can get a couple more bounces now in game three, that, you know, all of a sudden you get one game on the board and you start to think about it a little bit differently because Alex Burrows, the Canadians assistant coach offered this reminder that, His team won the first two games of the Stanley Cup final, the last time a Canadian team was in the final. And they ended up losing the series in seven. So it happens. Um, I'm, I'm not willing to write off the Habs totally just yet. I think Tampa certainly looks like the stronger team. I think I've thought all along that they are the stronger team. But that second period just gave me a little bit of twinge of doubt that maybe this isn't over quite yet. You know, the way it ends with the good road to Coleman, you know, that buzzer beater, it was unbelievable that Tampa got through that, not only unscathed, but ahead. And so to think that that would happen again, like, I uh, I don't know about that. True. Just like, do I think Montreal is going to dominate? I think Montreal will win a game at home. I do. I picked Tampa in five. And so when I say the series over, I don't mean that it's going to necessarily be easy, but Montreal's not beating Tampa four out of five times. So that's just not, uh, I don't see it. I, hey, if it, if it happens, Frank, feel free. Uh, everybody can come on and rip me on it, but uh, I just do not. I was going to say, happen. we can come on next episode and you can eat one of your hats. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not a big hat eater. So I just, uh, Tampa Bay is just that good. 
So, but I, yeah. by the way, I think there's a lot to what you said. And I actually wrote a bit of it uh, on dailyfaceoff.com with Pat Maroon uh, previewing the series, just how much, how motivated they were not just to get back to the final, but to win because it wasn't just winning in the bubble and not having your family there. Of course it's that, but it, it was all the other things that followed. It was the, the no parade. You have a parade with jet skis and boats. You know, that was different. It was cool, but it was different. The day with the cup, you could have a couple people, family, kind of really close friends only. You couldn't have a massive party. You couldn't take it wherever you wanted because all the other stuff was locked down or shut down. And the cup didn't travel to very many places. A lot of players got it just in Tampa since a lot of the team was coming back together. You couldn't take it home because the cup had travel restrictions. Yeah. And then you think about the socially distanced ring ceremony, you know, you're at a table with, you know, just kind of your significant other and no one else. And you're far away from everyone else. Like it just, they wanted a normal experience. And for guys who had won it before, like Maroon, they were saying how amazing that time was to party with it. It just wasn't the same. And so I love John Cooper's motivation. We talked about, you know, the way that he drills in and gets to know his players. Are you full? Is one cup enough for you? Are you hungry? Like, what a way to phrase it and frame it. And I think that, you know, that drags everyone into the fight. Oh, hey, they'll be eating out of the cup soon, Frank. It's just, uh, it's only a matter of time. Uh, let's get to Frankly Speaking. I'll keep this really short and really brief. Chicago Blackhawks, message for you. We are not stupid. The focus on the Blackhawks was squarely where it needed to be over the last number of weeks as it relates to the sexual assault allegations and allegations of mishandling those sexual assaults. Don't trot out Jonathan Taves two days after game one or a day after game one when you launch your internal investigation. And I say, independent investigation because you're also paying for that firm to conduct the investigation. And I still don't understand why the league isn't, but more to the point, we've wondered about Jonathan Taves for 16 months now, however long it's been to throw him out there as a way to change the topic around the Chicago Blackhawks I found was disappointing, especially during the cup final where the NHL loves the focus to be on the two teams in the final and moving forward, I think we need to continue to have this conversation as we had on our pod with Katie Strang and in other places, lots of other places around the game, not just for society, but also because this sport in particular seems to be affected with uh, sexual assault and sexual abuse way more than others. And so let's keep having the conversation. I appreciate what the Chicago Blackhawks have to do, feel like they have to do for their brand, but we're not stupid. Yeah, when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, good for Jonathan Taves, but hmm, seems like a little bit of odd timing. Uh, I also you know. looked up exactly what he said that he has, and I, I can't find any information on it. So I don't know if it's new, different, whatever it is. I'd like some more explanation on that as well. Yeah, no, that's fair. But, and, you know, it's, it's, hey, I it's found the timing situation. very curious. Yeah, that's totally fair. And it's a, it's, it's a tough situation, I believe. For like, I, I wonder about the players that were on that team and, you know, what it brings up and how, how they even look at, at people in their own organization when they, when they take a step back because, and I don't blame, you know, some people said, well, the players should speak up. You know, I know, I know how they, the hierarchy works 
And uh, when you bring it to the attention, you know, you, you have people that are supposed to do the right thing and that's their job because it's not the player's job at that point uh, to do anything. Right. And, you know, this many years later, I, you know, I can understand why there's a, there's still underlying uh, impacts from that. So this is definitely not a story that's going to go away despite efforts from people and the NHL and specifically the Chicago Blackhawks and, and everybody overall, there, there's lots of different lessons that are going to be learned from this. Number one, there's got to be accountability, but number two, at, at some point in general, more people have to be willing to speak up when a situation's uncomfortable. And when, you know, Hey, if, like in hindsight, it's why didn't they fire the video guy right on the spot? Say, sorry, like that's, that's, un, that's unacceptable. You can't work here. Right. And definitely you don't give them a, a rave review so we can go get a job somewhere else. That's, that's kicking your problems down the, the road is something that you do in a buyout. And that's a financial thing that doesn't hurt anyone. Something like this is, is inexcusable. And I, I really hope that, uh, that there are some people held accountable for this. And I think there will be. Look, this you hit it right on the head. This story is not going away. We won't let it go away. Look at Gary Bettman's press conference, peppered with four, five, six questions about the Blackhawks. It, we won't let this go away. Now, speaking of the Blackhawks, um, on a totally uh, different related note, because I, I don't think this is uh, one where they're trying to deflect anything, but Dustin Keith, or Duncan Keith, excuse me, is uh, you know looking for a, a move. You know, it was very specific to the uh, Pacific Northwest, which of course involves Seattle and Vancouver and Edmonton and, and Calgary and, and a few other landing spots. And you know, there's a lot of people that look and say, well, look at Duncan Keith's age. Look at the ice time he's, he's played the last few years. Look at his numbers. Uh, war, for instance, you know, wins above replacement. It's all falling off a cliff. Yeah, doesn't look good. Now here, and I, I dug into it, and, and there's a few things I want to mention about, um, is Duncan Keith's value at 5.5 million? No, but if he's 2.75, then, then you might consider it. And, and but how much lying. does a, well, he, here's the thing, before you dive into your analysis, his base salary next year is 2.1, and the year after that is 1.5. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, so, I'm talking. More I'm talking, but cap. for a team, let's say like a Seattle, that has tons of salary cap space and it cuts the real dollars down. There, there's very little risk for you in it. Yeah, yeah, it's just cap space, right? So if you're a competitive team, cap space means more. But you're right, if you're Seattle trying to get to the floor, this is one where it doesn't cost us a lot of actual dollars. It definitely helps us though with um, with cap space. And and the thing about Keith that I looked at, number one. We can go back in the last five or six years, Frank, and look at defensemen. Experience matters in the playoffs. If you're a team that thinks can make it to the playoffs, I think Duncan Keith has a better chance to help you there than he does in the 82 games in the regular season. If you feel the rest of your team's good enough, then you get to the postseason and experience matters. We've seen it, right? Like you just go through the Zach Bogosian. People thought Zach Bogosian was done. Now, I'm not expecting Duncan Keith to be a first line uh, defenseman. Maybe not even a second, but in your third pair, look at Michael Kempney. Now, he didn't have a ton of NHL experience, but he had nine years in the, in the Czech League. He was a 29-year-old. He played top four minutes in Washington. No one in their right mind thought that was even, even a remote possibility, right? It's happened you know, year after year for different teams with veteran guys. And mm -hmm. so- I'm with you, was, 100%. Shattenkirk, people thought, oh, he can't defend. Well, won a Stanley Cup as, as your fifth defenseman in Tampa Bay. And- um, It's the, about slotting him perfectly, which 100%. I think any team acquiring him at this point goes in eyes wide open. And here's the other thing I looked up for Duncan Keith. One thing that is very important for defensemen is continuity. 
and who you play with. And so I'm just going to list off Duncan Keith's top three partners. Now, Duncan Keith played 929 minutes at five on five. He played 27%. That's the most he played with any player. Basically, you know, one out of every four shifts with the same guy. And that was a, a young Mitchell, right? Then Boquist was after that. And then Connor Murphy. Those are his top three, 27%, 22 and 17. Now I'll compare that to, to other guys like Dougie Hamilton, right? And I look just, and I'm not saying Duncan Key's remotely close to any of these players, mm -hmm. but I was just showing people the comparison for top guys who are all Norris Trophy winners. So Adam Fox, who won the Norris Trophy, he played 70% of his minutes with Lindgren, right? So you have that continuity, you know where your defense partner is, and he's a pretty good player. Uh, you look at Dougie Hamilton, 81% of his ice time was with uh, Jacob Slavin. Hmm, that's a pretty good pairing, right? You go with uh, Shea Theodore, was at 48% with Martinez. Like, no one was under 30%, whether it's Hedman or, or Jeff Petrie was up at 68% with Joel mm -hmm. Edmondson, right? Uh, Charlie McAvoy was basically split because of injuries between mm -hmm. Grizzlick and, and Lozon, both at 37 and 35%. Right. So 72% of his time with two players that matters for defensemen. And they also were guys who had more experience. So we can look at the war number for Duncan Keith and it's not good. It's fallen off cliff. But if Duncan Keith is slotted in the right area on a competitive team, I still think he could help your squad. I agree totally. And he's also been really adorable. I was just counting here. He's missed 13 games in the last six seasons for a guy of his age that has that much mileage on him. He's played 1,192 games. He turns 38 in two weeks, two weeks from today, actually. I mean, why not? Like what I mentioned the yeah. real cash. And in addition to that, a dumb question as I was just looking up his, his numbers here. First ballot Hall of Famer. He's got two NARS trophies, a oh, he'll be, oh, two first-team All-Stars, and yeah, he's an, all those he's an easy. Stan, three Stanley Cups. Yeah, I, I like, is he in first-time eligibility? I think there's – I would have to look at who comes in with him, but I, it'd be hard for me to think of yeah. three players who are going to be more decorated from Stanley Cups, from uh, Olympic trophies, as well as just individual accolades. How insane is this easy. stat? 1,192 games and his career – Average ice time is 2457. It's <laughs> a lot of minutes, man. That's yeah. that's why you get him. Cause he again, yeah. even last season at age 37, 2325. Yeah. So throw him out there. He's in unreal shape. He's always well conditioned. And yeah. so I, I wouldn't, you can take your war stat and look at it, but I think you then have to dig deeper. One statistic is never fair. Just like looking and saying on the eye test, oh, he skates well. Well, that's one element of a game. There's lots of guys who by NHL standards are average mm -hmm. skaters who are highly effective. And I went through the list of, of players over 35 this year, Frank, who are significant contributors. Now, a lot of them came from the 2003 draft class, but um, there's a risk, of course, because of Duncan Keith's age, no question. But Mike Smith was 41 and finished what sixth or seventh in Vesna Trophy. So you yeah, the goalie position is a little differently. Yeah. You can play that till you're super late in age. But you you look well. Look at Char's in his 40s and he was playing top four minutes. And you, right. know, you look at Corey Perry and you look at Eric, people thought Eric Stahl was done in Buffalo. When suddenly you put players who are good, who were elite players early in their career, you mean just take them out of Buffalo? Well, that may be too, but you put elite <laughs> Taylor Hall, I mean, who were good and then put them elsewhere on a good team. Guess what? Good players play better with good players. So shocker, um, 
Chicago had an inexperienced group. And I like, like, I think Ian Mitchell is going to be a really good defenseman, mm-hmm. but you know, Duncan Keith was, was kind of in a mentor role. And, and even that it was like, oh, okay. Every four games I'm getting a new, uh, that's a fine, a new, uh, a new, um, a new partner. So uh, we'll kind of see where that goes. Now, Frank, mm. there's lots of other, uh, speaking of new partner and Oh, little roasty for you. Roasty coffee, a local Edmonton company. Just wanted to highlight them. Real quick, Andrew Hayes, co-founder of the company with his dad. He has a hockey path. He has a hockey DB. Go check him out. He backstopped the Brandon Wheat Kings uh, in the, for a number of years as their goalie. Played with Mark Stone, a number of other guys in the NHL. He's gotten into the coffee business. Uh, I'm actually drinking a roasty blend right now. They call this the Brazilian bourbon. Really good. Uh, if you're a coffee drinker, check him out, roasty.ca. Uh, R-O-A-S-T-I. They send you beans, coffee beans in bags, subscription style. So you never have to go to the store and buy coffee again. Life's too short to drink bad coffee. That's what I always say. Check out roasty.ca. Is there actual, does it have a bourbon flavor to it? Uh, Like you you get a little hint of it at the end. Yeah. Did you, did you add a little bourbon to it? It's a little early for that. Well, I just thought you might start early for Fourth uh, of July. Now, uh, there's lots of rumblings to get to, Frank, and, and mm-hmm. we'll get to uh, buy or sell with producer Ty in a second. But um, Nugent Hopkins contract, give me your thoughts. Uh, eight years, uh, the cap hit gets down to 5.12. What do you make of this deal for Nugent Hopkins and the orders? Well, I think this works for both sides, obviously, since they signed it. But I, I think what Nuge gets in his pocket is the $41 million and the security, right? That's yeah. what he wanted. It was to not leave total dollars on the table. And I think they accomplished that. The Oilers got what they wanted in, in Nuge at a low cap hit, a lower cap hit. I told you, I think they started somewhere around six and a half. Then the next offer was like under six. And then I think one of the last ones before the deadline was my recollection served somewhere around five times 5.4, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they end up at eight years 5.125. And I think it's going to personally, I think it's going to be a little bit painful for the Oilers in year seven and eight when they get to that point. But I think with where Ryan Nugent Hopkins is at right now and where you can plug him in, I've mentioned my concerns about his production playing with McDavid. Um, and I do have some concerns moving forward about his production, especially given the fact that he doesn't strike me as one of those guys that always shows up in great shape. And I wonder about how he ages and good for him that he got. If you look at the structure of this deal, a little bit of buyout protection in those last few years with some signing bonus in there. But I think moving forward for the Oilers, it's at a cap hit that doesn't cripple you. And you know, you, you're going to get, you're going to get some production there and some flexibility for a lot of the reasons we've talked about. If you've been listening, the ability to flip him to center, if you have an injury, uh, the defensive consciousness that he has in his game. Um, I think all those things matter, and I think they're in a good spot moving forward now. And by the way, Nuge gets to retire an Oiler. I just didn't know that all those slogans keep Nuge forever from the real-life podcast guys that they actually meant forever. Yeah, well, uh, he'll only be 35, actually, when the contract ends. And with the age of players, who knows? if? But he has a very good chance. And, uh, you know, barring serious injury, uh, he'll pass Kevin Lowe and play the most games uh, in an Oilers uniform, it looks like. I really think, Frank, you mentioned year seven and eight. There might be some concern there. I think that's totally valid. I think they look at the next four years 
at, at, at $5 million. So it's actually a million dollars less basically than what he was making. And that, uh, because those are the years where their orders are going to have to go on some runs here, not necessarily win, but just go on some, some runs, win around, probably win two rounds a few years to entice McDavid and dry settle to want to resign there because they feel the team's really close. And so having Nugent Hopkins there, uh, Darnell nurse, I suspect will sign a long-term deal. He's another guy who's very close to dry settle McDavid. And so if the team's better and they've got their guys that they really like, close i think there's a better chance that you could see dry settle mcdavid uh when well, their contracts if, come up and if you win and you're productive like let's say year four year five they sure. win you're going okay who cares about year seven and eight we got our cup exactly it doesn't oh, yeah. matter no no totally true and the other thing about nugent hopkins i looked it up so in 2019 and 20 when he played with mcdavid he averaged 2.07 points per 60 Last year was 1.7. Um, last year with Dreisaitl was 2.04. I think the last year with McDavid, the 1.07 is kind of an anomaly. Uh, Nugent Hopkins, I talked to him about it. He couldn't score. He felt he had chances. And he, he wanted to work on a shot. There was times, I think, where he, he needed a How many release. opportunities? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I don't think Nugent Hopkins, I'm not expecting him to be a huge five-on-five production player because he never has been. But I think he'll have much better production even if he, they stay with McDavid. Um, cause it all that's, depends, but on that's my, that's been my concern is like he had, I think this season it was 31 games. Yeah. Well, His 31. production should have been 65 points in those games. Yeah. Well, here's the thing though, Frank confidence is a strange beast and we've seen lots of good players. You all of a sudden lose confidence. And now when the puck's supposed to be off your stick quick, now it's on there for that extra half second. And that's usually the difference between a goal but, and a save. But that would mean that they also got a pretty good window into that. And I know you can, you know, next season, you, you know, maybe you come back more confident, you know, now that you have the deal, I always wonder about that player playing in the final year of his deal, but still that was enough to give me some pause about yeah. whether or not it made sense to bring him back. That, no, it's totally fair. I, to me, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to pay him more than 5.5. So the fact they got him lower cap hit, I know that obviously they did that by, by taking a risk in the later years. And, you know, Nugent Hopkins isn't fast. He's extremely quick and has very good edge work. And usually that those type of players, you know, they can, they can get into their, their career and, and, and survive, you know, yeah, he might end but, up but being a, a That's my problem with it. Like that's my problem with, I think his, his overall approach, he, he, can survive that explains rnh in a nutshell to me has it's been can survive mode for a while it should just be how can we push and find a way to thrive and do better how can we push the envelope mcdavid is a striver dry yeah. is a striver ryan nugent hopkins is not a striver he you know i'm not you know i don't know all about his his offseason and what he does i can tell you that those other two guys are, are pushing the envelope in terms of what they're doing it seems like every season it takes Nuge 15 games to get warmed up. Yeah. Well, you know what, Frank, uh, there, there's some validity there to see if uh, you push him, but you're not paying him like a striver, right? I guess that's the way you look at it. The, um, it's a fair it ain't criticism. Free. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fair criticism. It's no question. Now, um, I love the trade that came down yesterday, Arvidsson to the Los Angeles Kings. I look at Arvidsson, he had three years of 31, 29, 34 goals. Then he dropped down to 15 and 10. This guy is poised for a bounce back 20 goal season. His shots per game dipped significantly the last two years as did his shooting percentage. I love this trade for the LA Kings. I don't really understand it from the Nashville perspective. What are they doing? Just I mean, a second and third round pick... He, he wasn't breaking the bank. He was at four yeah. and change. That's what I think is even more impressive for the Kings is 
You didn't have to give up a lot to get him. He's not chewing up a lot of your cap. And they're on a quest for more top six forwards. Oh, you just crossed one off. You add Victor Arvidsson. He's also a grinder. That's what I love about his game. He's not shy to, to play and, and dive into the muck in front of the net. Um, he's always there wreaking havoc. He Remember he was that guy in the Nashville playoff runs that was he would jump and time his jump perfectly to screen the goalie's eyes, and he'd find a way to tip the puck. Uh, he's got that in his arsenal, and, and I like the response. And this is what confounds me for the, from the Preds' perspective. Philip Forsberg puts an emoji on his Instagram. Thumbs down. <laughs> Matt yeah. Duchesne puts up a post on his Instagram how much they're going to miss him. Not often you see players after a trade, of course they say we're going to miss this guy, but pretty vocal announcing to your management group, what are you doing? Yeah, well, the manager might be saying, hey, Matt Duchesne, what are you doing for 8 million bucks? There's well, a- I, I, I think that's exactly what they're saying. And also to Ryan Johansson as well. What are you doing for your money? Yeah. So I, I, it's a fair question. You know, what direction is Nashville going with this trade? You know, did Arvidsson ask to get out? I, I don't know, but it's definitely feels like a win to me. This is a good bet trade I find for uh, LA and Nashville is going to have to hope that their scouts come through huge and, and these two picks pan out, but these two picks aren't helping you for, for probably five years. When you look at second and third rounders for the most part, when they're going to be here. Um, I, I think the Kings are going to be so much better that th- this oh, year yeah. that we're looking to admit, like, I think they're going to, they could be a playoff team. No doubt. Um, you're looking at mid round, mid second round um, some, uh, some, you know, you might be in the twenties, low twenties. hundred percent. LA, LA easily could vie for that third spot in the Pacific after Edmonton and Vegas. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, uh, speaking of Vegas, uh, they are always looking to make moves. Um, I think it was probably clear before the playoffs started, the center depth was a concern. It became a massive concern when uh, Chandler Stevenson went out. Um, they have historically not been afraid. Look at the big trades. They acquired Mark. Love the shiny already. They've acquired Petrangelo. They've, they've made big deals. Are we seeing another one? What are you hearing? I think so. Um, look, they conducted their exit meetings this week, by the way, their GM Kelly McCrimmon still in Montreal doing them via zoom after his positive COVID test. Uh, so he was stuck in, in Montreal for 14 days. He may actually still be there while the next series uh, comes Ouch. back to Montreal for the final. Don't know if he can uh, head over and watch, but it seems like he'll be nearby. And uh, moving forward, I want to mention three names in particular that I've heard out there to this point and could be out there. You know, we thought we're out there last offseason, but certainly again this time around. Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, and Max Pacioretty. I think those are three guys to really keep an eye on moving forward um, and probably in that order. And then, of course, you get to the goalie part. You know, What do you do? Can you bring back $12 million in goaltending? How does that work out? And if I'm not mistaken, Marc-Andre Fleury is eligible for an extension. How does that work out moving forward? So lots of questions on the goaltending front. Clearly with the way that the season ended, probably a pretty sour taste in the mouth of a bunch of people involved in that. Um, Meaning the way it was handled with Flurry not starting the next game. Is there a trust factor lost with Pete DeBoer? Uh, And then what do you do with the back end of this group? Alec Martinez 
walking as a free agent, most likely. How does that function moving forward? I mean, that's that guy was the back. We had uh, we had Derek Anglin on. He called him the backbone of their defense, which says a lot given that Alex Petrangelo's there. So uh, lots of question marks around the Golden Knights, and I, I mentioned it when you said it. They seem to be really interested in the shiny toy. So we just got to figure out who the shiny toy, the new shiny toy is this offseason. Jack Eichel. Makes sense. I mean, you need you need a center. Chandler Stevenson was your center. Don't yeah. don't I, I just how do they squeeze in a $10 yeah, million dollar guy? I think their approach has been whatever. We'll make it work. We'll do whatever we need to do in order to make it work. Trade Nate Schmidt, trade whoever it is, Paul Stasny. They've found a way every offseason to yeah. do it. So I I that that part I'm I'm surprisingly enough not getting hung up on. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with you. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon, uh, even George McPhee, they were not afraid uh, in Vegas's brief history. To, to you know, I, I always flash. I always think of this, Jason, and it's, for, it's a line from another general manager, but I say this now knowing that we are four seasons into the Vegas Golden Knights experience and we've got just a handful of guys left from that first team. It's a line from another GM. If you want loyalty get a dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've shipped out whoever they need to in order to make it happen. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, then you, you look at other teams who win and you know, they'll keep their cores around and you got to be patient too. Sometimes, you know, Tampa Bay prime example, like Alex Kalorn, 2007. Stanford, the lesson eight. has been patience. Hedman, 2009, right? Kucherov. Kucherov's been there for a decade since they drafted him. So I saw um, our buddy Chris Johnson wrote in his story the other day on Sportsnet that John Cooper and the Lightning have been coming to Montreal so long together that Nikita Kucherov was a healthy scratch. Like, think about that. Like, team, player, all like, no one's gone anywhere. I mean, and think of all the teams that have won and broken through in the last number of years. St. Louis, Washington, you know, Tampa finally does it. It's been mostly with the same core. I'm looking at right now, um, it's five guys that are left. Carlson, Marcheseau, William Carrier, Braden McNabb, and Marc-Andre Fleury. That's it. That's the, Reeves, those are the Reeves, only players right? left from the expansion draft. No, Reeves oh, came no, in. Reeves wasn't there. You're right. He came in yeah. later from Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy for sure. Um, hard to, I guess, hard though, when you only have four years. So it's hard to have uh, uh, many guys there long-term. But yeah, the fact there's only five left and, and uh, they turn it over. But hey, it's worked for them because they've been in the conference final three out of four years, which is, uh, which is saying something. For sure. Now, quickly, before we get to uh, producer Ty, let's uh, quickly update us on the uh, the Rangers. Should be an interesting offseason for them coming up. Uh, we know there's obviously uh, one buyout coming. Yep, there is a buyout coming, and Tony D'Angelo reported that on dailyfaceoff.com. It will come in the first buyout window, which opens 24 hours after the conclusion of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, there's a number of interesting buyout candidates around the league, and I'll get those posted on dailyfaceoff.com here in the next few days to sort out around the league, but yeah, Tony D'Angelo heading towards a buyout uh, that's finalized. And so they will have Chris Drury, oh, $5 million, $4.5 million in dead cap space next season with some of the other buyouts that they have. Lundquist, Shattenkirk, Dan Girardi, but interesting story from Larry Brooks in the New York post in the last couple days saying, the Rangers, if they'd like to make some significant transactions, probably need to ship, a couple guys out 
And I've identified one in particular whose name has made the rounds in NHL circles over the last number of days, and that's Pavel Buchnevich. Restricted free agent, has arb rights, and he's coming off a 48-point season, 48 points in 54 games, 20 goals. So he really stepped up in a big way, uh, you know, beating his previous point total from the previous season in 14 fewer games. And he's going to be due a big ticket, one that they probably can't afford. So put Pavel Buchnevich on the daily face-off trade targets list because he's going to be on there next time around. Uh, interesting one. Uh, James Neal is a bio candidate. Frank, he'd be under the top of the list for the Edmonton Oilers. They would save $3.8 million. Yep. I think unless, unless there's a surprising trade that happens, I think uh, you'll see James Neal be bought out in Edmonton. Let's bring in uh, producer Ty, uh, see how he's feeling. If he's uh, still hanging mm-hmm. out in uh, his, uh, his niece's kiddie pool, just to uh, stay warm. <laughs> it looks like you're sweating just doing this interview, Ty. How you doing with no AC? E- yeah, you can uh, you can definitely tell that it is very hot. My face is very red doing this, and uh, I've taken a step backwards though. I'm up in my uh, in my condo. I have no AC, so I've moved back in with my parents for the week, and I'm sleeping in their air conditioned basement just to get out of this heat wave, Jason. Uh, but you know how bad it is here in the Edmonton area right now. But I got my fan on behind me. I got enough juice to get through a uh, buy or sell, which is brought to you by Jock Market. JockMKT.com. Find them on your app store. A hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. Promo code DFO50 gets you a $50 deposit bonus. And uh, let's start with a sort of jock market themed question on buy or sell. I'm going to say the Habs bounce back in game three. I want you to tell me if you'll buy or sell on that idea, but also give me one player whose stock you might want to, maybe it's even buy low on heading into game three, Jason. Wow. Captain obvious states. This is the game. If the Habs want to get back in the series, they have to win. Like I would assume they're going to come forth with their best effort, but I'm just not sure it's enough. And if it is, I think it's a stay of execution, but I did pick the Habs to win a game before the series began. So I'll say it's tonight. And if I'm buying low on a guy who, who I think could emerge, I will say you're going to get some offensive production tonight from the worm. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. That was my guy. That's hard not to. The guy always finds a way to score. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to buy as well. Um, I think the Habs win game three. And the guy I'm going to buy low on, uh, his stock was pretty darn low coming out of the first two games in Tampa is Carey Price. Uh, I think you could see the frustration he had. I think you could tell, you know, in game one, the pressure that he was wearing. First time in the Stanley Cup final at this age knows what an opportunity it is, may not get another one. I think some of that wears on you. And I think he's going to be much better in game three. Up next, let's get to the off-season topics here. Frank, you're reporting on a potential big deal that could be coming out of St. Louis with Vlad Tarasenko. I'm going to say he's gone before the draft. You buying or selling on that? I am going to sell. Uh, I the timing of it, I'm just not sure because I think, you know, you're looking at the cap and it's a bigger ticket to squeeze in for sure. Seven and a half million, uh, two years. I, I think he's a guy that people are wondering about his health, but I can tell you from doing my own research and investigation that he is completely healthy now after going through that recurring shoulder injury. This is gross guys, but he couldn't get his shoulder to stay in joint. It kept popping out. And so they finally fixed it. Um, and moving forward, he's going to be fine. Uh, I'd say Vlad Tarasenko is on the move, but it's between now and when free agency opens. 
Frank, when, when I played a uh, low level junior, we had a teammate whose shoulder would pop out in the game and it had popped out so frequently that you, and I was one of the guys oh. who helped him once he would stand there against the kind of the, uh, in the hallway and you would smash his shoulder back in and I was oh. Just, oh my oh. God. And then Jeez. he would be in pain for like four minutes and then he'd be fine. It just got so used to it. And then he finally had surgery later on, but it was, uh, it's crazy. So I can imagine Tarasenko doing that. Um, I'm actually going to buy. I think the uh, you know the draft week now. I'm I'm going to put a tidbit on it, uh, Ty, because we saw, of course, the Hall and the Subban and all the Weber mm -hmm. deals. I'm going to say from the start of the draft, which is on a Wednesday, so I'm going to go from the Tuesday of the draft to to the Tuesday before free agency. That week, I like to call it trade week. I think yeah. that's when he'll get dealt. There you go. I'll accept that answer. Uh, let's go. Uh, I got three specific teams here. I'll ask you about in the next three questions. You guys touched on Arvidsson and the Predators. Some players maybe not happy that he was dealt out. I'm going to say he's not the only big name shipped out of Nashville this summer. Jason, you buying or selling? Well, I think they'd like to. I just don't know how you can trade some of those guys. Like Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are just not giving you much production at all for $8 million. Like it's, so I'm going to sell. I, you know, and unless they're going to ship, ship about Matthias Ekholm. That's, does he I was going to say, does he count as a big name? I think he does. He was yeah, number one on, on the trade boards. A last, really good last defenseman. Year. So yeah. Man, if, if they're trading Arvidsson and they're willing to, I'll say this, the lineup to get Ekholm would be really long. Like yeah. he's got a great deal at 3.4 million. He's a legit top four defenseman, can give you sneaky good offense and is reliable defensively, can take on the tough matchup. So I guess, you know what? I've just talked myself out of it. I will I will uh, buy and say yes. One more name and it's Matthias Ekholm. That was exactly the guy I was going to say. Uh, he wasn't on our trade targets list. I think it's somewhat... Obvious. The other guy we had on from Nashville was Dante Fabro. Uh, seemed to fall out of a little bit of favor there. Um, a young player that I think can give a lot more. Matthias Ekholm, by the way, this is an interesting thing to point out. 375 cap hit, real cash, 5 million. So it, it's certainly not a cheap ticket to pay for a guy who is 31. And then, look, I don't think there's any question they're trying to move Duchesne and Johansson. I just don't think anyone's going to be a taker. I, potentially a fit with Seattle with either of those two, Frank, or do you think Seattle steers clear of both those names? I would be. I mean, just on contract alone, like mm -hmm. if you know, you're going to be bringing in a, a player on that type of deal and with that type of term left, it, it better be someone that you, you get guaranteed production from. And those two guys are all over the map. I mean, yeah, look, like Matt, Matt Duchesne, five more years at 8 yeah. million. I still don't even understand the contract. It was like they were so infatuated and so in love with the idea of getting him and missing so many times that they just had to go out and do it to scratch the itch. And what a mistake. The, the only thing I'll say about Matt Duchesne, for whatever reason, historically, offense has gone to die in Nashville. He might be because yeah. he was a pretty decent offensive player before. I, I would have more faith that he could produce somewhere else. Ryan Johansson's never really been like a great offensive player in it's, my eyes. So I mm -hmm. would have no faith in him, but I'd have faith that Duchesne might be, if you can squeeze Nashville, Frank, to, to retain, you know, like 1.2 or 1.5 million, you know, you get down to six for Duchesne, six and a bit, six and a half, maybe. Doesn't last season doable. scare you at all? 13 points, oh, six hey. goals. I mean, like, yeah, it's not I, ideal. I, I mean, look, I, I need a lot more than that in order to make it work. But it's funny you said that, not to go on a tangent, but about offense going to die in Nashville because I was talking to a number of teams around the trade deadline and they said that's exactly why they were targeting Mikael Granlin. They said, look at his numbers in Minnesota. He goes to Nashville, has a dip. 
But what I don't understand about the comment is that there's been a number of different coaches there in Nashville. So why is it that that's where it goes to die? I don't understand. Well, it's just like if, if Nashville wants to trade Fabro, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a little leery because there's been no better organization at developing and producing defensemen recently than the Nashville predators. Now Seth Jones, they traded not because they didn't think he was good because they needed a center and they thought it'd be Johansson. And that obviously didn't pan out, but you know, if Fabro's fallen out of business, I'd be like, Hmm, why is that? Cause for an organization that for whatever reason, Frank, they know how to develop and draft defense. Historically, mm-hmm. they've done it in any round. They've done a great job at it. And then it just seems like they, do, I don't know what their organizational belief is in offense, but it just doesn't seem to transpire into legit offense. Very interesting. Keep uh, moving on here to the next team. I got written down. You guys talked about Vegas and them potentially making a big splash. I'm going to say a different team out West will make a big splash. And that's the Minnesota wild. Frank, you buying or selling on the idea of the wild making a significant addition this off season. Well, I think they're going to try with Jack Eichel. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I just think that what they're willing to put in to get Jack Eichel is maybe different than what some other teams have in mind. Um, I think some teams have wondered about Jordan Greenway. Could we pry a guy like him out? Uh, He'd be a guy that I think a number of teams have circled. Uh, There was a lot of talk last in the last year about Matt Dumba. Uh, I don't think they're interested in moving him uh, according to sources. And I think moving forward, they found that Matt Dumba was a, such a big part of the energy that that team had that they've shied away from that at this point. So I don't think he'd be a fit to go. Um, everyone's eyes are on Kaprizov and, and what that contract looks like. And by the way, another buyout candidate would be Zach Parise. So uh, lots of things happening in Minnesota this offseason. I'm going to buy that they certainly try to make a big swing. Oh, I'm buying all day long, man. Bill Guerin came in as a manager under the greatest GM in NHL history when it comes to acquisitions in the last seven years. And uh, Jim Rutherford, who was never afraid to make a deal. Heck, he made more trades than the other GMs combined for stretches. So, And I think Bill Guerin has come in. He's shown he's not scared to make a trade. And I think Bill has the philosophy that Don Waddell told us on the pod earlier. He's like, I don't worry about as much as I on what I'm giving up. I focus on what I'm acquiring. And I think the the focus on what you could, could acquire in Jack Eichel means, yeah, you're going to have to give up something of significance. But I believe that the Minnesota Wild, whether it's Eichel or not, I think Bill Guerin does make a splash this offseason. Final team here is the Chicago Blackhawks, who we've already talked about a lot, but they're getting back Jonathan Taves. They have some decent young players, and we're hearing they could be interested in a big-name defenseman. I'm going to say the Chicago Blackhawks make some big moves and fast-track their rebuild a little bit this summer. Jason, you buying or selling? This is a real tough one because I think they might try to make moves. Frank alluded to earlier, and frankly speaking, to try to distract from the story that's ongoing. And Mm -hmm. so if you can you know, make moves and and be in the news for other reasons. And, you know, sure, they want to get better, but I wonder if if that's an extra motivation for them. I'm not saying it's the wise motivation to have, but I wouldn't be surprised by it. Um, They've been on the outside since they won the Stanley Cup in 2015. They haven't been remotely competitive. So I look at Chicago that, yeah, they they will try to go out there and, and make some splash to improve their team, but also to to keep the story away from what the focus is right now. Uh, I, I think they're in on making anything happen. It has nothing to do with the story going on right now. Um, 
we had Stan Bowman on. And one of the things I asked him about, you know, this is obviously way before these allegations came to light. You can go back and listen to the pod was about their long-term structure of their cap and how they're finally getting to the point where he has flexibility. Why was the team bad for so many years is because they were dealing with the contracts that they had left over that helped deliver them three Stanley cups. Two seasons from now, the Blackhawks have exactly $8 million committed on an $81.5 million cap. He knows that. He also knows finally that he has the flexibility of Brent Seabrook and Andrew Shaw both being able to go to LTIR if need be. That's almost $11 million in free space. They're going to be a major player, whether it's Seth Jones. Uh, I don't know if they can afford another $10 million player if they were to try and go after a Jack Eichel. But, and I'm curious to see what Jonathan Taves looks like and plays like, but they're going to be a major player this offseason. I think they can afford Eichel because of what you just said. They don't have the long-term deals after that. So it might be a squeeze for one year with Eichel or two, but after that, there's a lot of financial freedom. So Chicago is is definitely a team. And, and they've got some young players that, that intrigue people that, that, that are, you know, interesting around the NHL. So I, uh, I won't be surprised that uh, they're making splash because once you have cap space and, and like, I think Chicago's a real big player prior to the expansion draft and leading up to the draft of teams that are trying to just shed salary cap, right? Like mm-hmm. Tampa Bay is a prime example. We all know they got three Fords. They're going to have to move, right? One's going to Seattle in the expansion draft and the other two got to get out of town just due to salary cap space. I wouldn't be surprised Chicago's involved in that either. Mm-hmm. There you go. That is buy or sell brought to you by jock market. Stay in the game. Jockmkt.com. That promo code. Once again, DFO 50 for a $50 deposit bonus. It's been a busy pod, Frank. Um, uh, lots of rumors and rumblings and, and different things to, uh, to talk about the, let's quickly touch on the Tarasenko. Why is this Tarasenko wanting out? Is this the blues wanting to change? What is your spotty sense telling you about this possible deal? I think this is Tarasenko wanting a change. I think, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned the shoulder continuing to pop out. I think there's been some issue there in terms of getting the proper medical help that he needed. Uh, I think moving forward, uh, there may or may not have been some lingering disappointment uh, from not getting the captaincy after being there for so long. That's just the rumor and speculation around it. I don't know how accurate all that is, but that seems to be the indication. And, and as I reported, you know, He's provided, he has a full no trade clause and he's provided some teams, several teams to the blues that he'd be willing to, to waive that for. So it's up to Doug Armstrong now to dig in and and do the work. And geez, I just, you know, you think about Tarasenko coming five straight 30 goal seasons before he got hurt. You got him, you've got all these guys that are UFA, Mike Hoffman, Tyler Bozak, Jaden Schwartz. It's a lot of goals. Who's coming back? Where are you getting your goals from moving forward? That's a lot of pressure on Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, David Perron. I mean, Perron had a fantastic season again, but like he's 33 years old. Like at some point is there, you know, something moving forward that I don't know. When does the decline start to begin? Uh, I'd have to think you'd have to be thinking about that. Um, And those other guys, I know Mike Hoffman was a square peg in a round hole this year, but Bozak struggled, Schwartz lost his dad, and I think that contributed to the season that he had, making it a, a really tough and difficult year. And Blues are another team. Add them to the list. 
that are going to be so interesting to watch. And by the way, Vince Dunn, he didn't make it on our, our, I don't think he made it on our trade board our trade targets. Vince Dunn is another guy on defense that they could certainly be looking at moving. Man, it's going to be fascinating uh, to see what happens uh, after the Stanley Cup. Uh, there could be uh, lots of moves. We, we a saw barrage. Already, and uh, we could see even more. Look forward to it, Frank. Uh, happy 4th of July to you Thank and your you. family and uh, all of our American uh, listeners, viewers. And uh, we will talk to everyone uh, on Monday. Have a stay great cool. weekend. Yeah, stay cool. And we've got a, also to look for next week on dailyfaceoff.com, top 75 free agents. So we'll have that ranking out as well. Lots to chew on. Love it. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.